Shall we just look to the Lord in a word of prayer before we begin this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this song. We thank you that we're sheltered in the arms of God. We thank you, Lord, that you're leading us and we are following you. And we will follow until you take us home to heaven. Until then, Lord, help us to be useful servants. Help us to love you and obey you and walk in your ways. We pray now that you'll hide me behind the cross and pray that you'll speak through your word today to those who know the Lord and to those who do not, that your spirit will speak clearly and powerfully today. We just thank you and praise you for your, in your precious name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. You know, one of the most important decisions that anyone can make, and I think it's the most important decision, is the decision to follow Christ. Did you notice in that song that we sang, what is the price? It's everything. What will it cost me? To follow the Lord. What is the price of a life that's restored? If I am willing to walk in his way, what is the price that I must pay? And the answer is everything. He wants everything. He doesn't want us to give him 99% of our hearts and follow him. No, you have to give 100%. All other decisions that we make in life after that pale in comparison. Because when we decide to follow Jesus, No turning back. It's a life-changing experience. Last week, we had 10 people that were here in this baptismal that said, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. They're saved. They knew they were saved. I like the enthusiasm and the confidence that they had. Do you know for sure you're going to heaven? Definitely. Are you ready to go now? I am. Have you decided to accept Jesus Christ? I have. They were. There was no doubt in their lives. And that's the way it should be with us as believers in Christ. We have decided to follow the Lord all the way. No turning back. We're going to go all the way until the finish line, until we end up in the presence of the Lord. The question for all of us to answer is this. Have I myself individually decided to follow the Lord? And that's our topic today is following Christ. And we're going to look at four aspects of that. Following Christ in salvation following Christ in separation, following Christ in sanctification, and following Christ in service. I don't know, lately I guess I'm on, a, on the acronyms. I'm on the S's this time. But it's just how it, how it flows sometimes. But I looked up in my dictionary, and I know Bill likes to look up words too, and I found some interesting things in the Webster's New World Dictionary. Mine's not as old as Bill's, and it's not falling apart as much. But it is a good dictionary and it's got a great definition for the word follower. And the definition is a person who follows another's beliefs or teachings, disciple, a servant or attendant. Now, this is the dictionary here. This is not the Bible dictionary, but this is the dictionary. And it's a great definition. If we want to follow Christ, his beliefs, his teachings, we want to be his disciple We want to serve him and attend to him. That is what the Christian life is all about. And I love that. And then a sub-definition of disciple is even better. It says a disciple implies a personal devoted relationship to the teacher of some doctrine or leader of some movement. Well, we have decided to follow who? The Lord Jesus Christ. God manifested in the flesh. He came. He died for us. He rose again. He's coming for us again. And we want to follow him. We want to follow him all the days of our lives. Well, I found another interesting word that I never even knew was a word. And the word is followership. 
Now, we've all heard of fellowship. We know that's a word. But I never knew that followership was a word. And I found it right in the dictionary. And it's a noun meaning the ability to follow a leader. Followership. How good is your followership? Are you following the Lord Jesus? Are you following him as the leader and master and king of your life? That's what we want to do. And the place that we begin to follow him is in salvation. Because you can do all the other things, but if you're not saved, it's not going to mean a thing in the world. One day, you'd stand before the Lord and, you, and he'd say, depart from me, I never knew you. But Lord, I did all of these things. I did this and this and that. doesn't matter. The first thing before you can follow Christ is to accept him as your personal Lord and Savior. And that is the key. Let's turn in our Bibles this morning to the fourth chapter of Matthew. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 18. I love how the Lord Jesus called his disciples individually and personally, name by name, and how he brought them to himself. He spent three years with them, training these men to follow him, and then they went and turned the world upside down. And we're here today as a result of their following Christ all the way. Matthew chapter 4, beginning at verse 18. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And they immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. He called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. I really love that. They left everything. They left their father. They left the fishing business. They left the nets. They left everything there. And they decided in that moment in time to follow Jesus. They didn't have to think about it. They didn't have to struggle with it. They didn't have to say, well, what are we going to do with the fishing poles or the fishing line or the nets and all of that? What will my father think? We've been in the business for years. No, I am going to follow Christ with a singleness of purpose. And that's what they did. And he called him. Notice that with two words. Follow me. The Lord didn't have to beg them. He didn't have to plead with them. He just said those two words. Follow me. And it says that word immediately or straightway. They followed the Savior. No turning back. And they were all for him. The rest of their lives. You know, when the Lord Jesus called people in the New Testament, like Billy Graham says, he calls them publicly and they have to publicly take a stand for the Lord. And that's what these these fishermen did. There were Peter and Andrew. They were brothers and James and John. They were brothers and they were there on the seashore. Jesus said, follow me. And that's what he's asking for us to do today. Follow me. And if you haven't accepted Christ as your savior, today's the day you're going to do it. You are going to get saved today because it is the time. And it reminds me of the story, too, where the Lord Jesus called Matthew, the tax collector, to himself in Matthew 8, 9. And it says, and Jesus passed on from there and he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. He left everything behind, all the money, all the tax money, everything, receipts, everything. He says, I'm going to follow Jesus. And then that night he had a big banquet at his house and invited all the tax gatherer friends. And he says, this man here, 
is Jesus. He changed my life. I'm following Him now. I'm giving up the business. I'm giving up all my days where I used to collect more money than I should for the Roman government. That's what they used to do, tax collectors. They collected more than they should and they skimmed off the profit for themselves and they got rich on that. He says, no, I'm repenting of my sin. I'm giving it up and I'm going to follow Jesus all the way. And that's what following Christ is all about. You know, until we get saved, we're following our own will. We're following what others want us to do. We're following what the world says to do. We're driven in by all the impulses around us. And what does that get you in life? Nothing but a colossal mess. We make a colossal mess of our lives if we try to follow what we think is right. In the Bible, in the book of Judges, it says everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's not what God wants. He wants us to follow Him. No turning back. And let Him have control of our lives. Yes, when we come to Christ and we say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I need you. And it reminds me of Isaiah 59 too. It says, but, my, but your iniquities have separated you from your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. You know, if you're here today and you're a sinner and you haven't accepted Christ, there's a huge chasm between God on one side and you there on the other. We were all there. We were all there, that huge chasm. And nothing can bridge it. You cannot bridge that gap by any effort you do, any religious activity or any good works or anything. The only thing that will bridge that huge chasm, that huge gap is the cross of Christ. It fits beautifully and it allows us to walk from unsaved to saved, from without Christ to having Christ, to going our own way to going his way. And that's what we want in our lives. Bill quoted some verses from the Apostle Paul last week, and one of them was Romans 3.23 that says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Does that mean me? Yes. Does it mean you? Yes. We're all part of the all. And then he said, And the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. God knew that we couldn't follow him in our sins. We could not. We could not even get to the gate of heaven in our sins. We couldn't get through that gate. We needed Christ to come and offer himself as a sacrifice for us so that by accepting him as our Lord and Savior, we have eternal life and we have decided to follow Jesus. You know, it surprises me so many times that people in the spiritual sense think they're ready for high school when they haven't even gone to kindergarten yet. There's so many people, don't they? They go to church, they sing the hymns, they do all the things, but they haven't gone to kindergarten. In other words, they haven't gotten saved. And so all the church attendance and all the Bible reading and all the prayers, it doesn't do a person any good if you don't know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, if you're not following Him. And the Lord Jesus is calling out to each one in this audience today those two words, follow me, follow me. Well, someone may answer, but I go to church... The Lord Jesus says, follow me. But I read the Bible. Come on, follow me. I live in a Christian country. That's got to be enough, right? Nope, follow me. My parents are Christians. Getting closer to home, right? But still not there yet. Follow me. And some people say, but my wife's a Christian or my husband's a Christian. No, it's still closer, but you're not there yet. You're close, but you're not there. Every person has to make that decision. Just like the ones who got baptized. I have decided to follow Jesus. I made that decision personally. There has to be a day and a time in your life 
where you realize you've messed it up. You've sinned against God. You need him. He died for you and you want to give your life to Christ and he will change your life completely. Sometimes I think the Savior has tears running down his cheeks as he looks out into the world today and sees so many people lost, so many people doing so many different things and some are so religious and some are so good. You know, it's sad when, when a neighbor is so good, they're living such a good life and you say, oh, if they were just a Christian, if they were just saved, we'd know they'd be with us in heaven. They're living a good life. They're not doing any major bad things, but they're sinners just like everyone in the world, and they need to be saved. Yes, it's a struggle that people go through. They say, well, I'm not quite there yet. I'm not ready yet. When will you be ready? Only the Lord knows when the time comes, when, you, when the Lord says, time to go home, time to go, time to go into eternity. And it's either going to be with the Lord or it's going to be apart from the Lord. And it's the choice we make right here, whether we follow Christ and be saved. You know, it's, a, it's kind of an amusing story, but a man named J. Edwin Orr, who was a revivalist and historian, he met with Billy Graham and they had a meeting down in Beverly Hills of all places. So they brought all these different people in. And one of the people in attendance was a notorious gangster by the name of Mickey Cohen. And he expressed some interest in the gospel, but he didn't get saved that night. Billy Graham shared the gospel with him. He didn't get saved. Later on, a friend of Mickey Cohen shared the word with him from... Revelation 3.20, that beautiful verse that says, Behold, I, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and have fellowship with him and he with me. Well, Mickey Cohen says, that's for me. I want to accept, I want to accept it. Well, later on, he got mad at his friend. And he said this. He said, you didn't tell me that I'd have to give up my work. In other words, his rackets. And you didn't tell me I had to give up all my friends, all his gangster associates in the gang, right? I thought I could be a I could be a Christian like so and so who's a Christian cowboy or so and so who's a Christian actress or so and so who's a Christian senator. You know what? We don't take Christ and make him follow us. We take Christ and follow him. We have to change our way of living. You can't just say, well, I'm a Christian gangster now. Put the label Christian and gangster. It doesn't work. Christian murderer. No, it doesn't work. When you come to Christ, you come in your sins, you come just as you are, he will change your life and you won't want to go back to being a gangster, a murderer, or anything else. You will want the life that Christ give you, gives you. And there are certain professions that we have to give up. We, you can't work in certain professions as a Christian. I mean, what kind of a testimony would you ha- be, have behind the bar, you know? Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Here, have another drink. No, it doesn't work. You can't do certain professions. You can't have certain friends as a Christian that are going to drag you down into the old life of sin anymore. You have to cut it off. And basically, you don't really have to do it because if you stand for the Lord and follow him, they'll cut you off. They don't want you around because they feel convicted and uncomfortable when they're in their sin. It's a it's a stand that we take for the Lord. Just like the song that says, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. The world behind me, the cross before me, no turning back. It says, though none go with me, I still will follow. No turning back. Will you decide now to follow Jesus? No turning back. Every person in this room has had to make that decision and has to make it. And if you haven't made it today, today you're going to make it. You have to make it today. 
The Lord does not strong arm anybody and force you to accept him. He never does. He speaks the words, follow me. And there he stands there waiting with his arm stretched out. Follow me. He doesn't go over and take you by the arm, put you up. Like, Come on. And no, he gives you the choice, the choice, the free will to follow him. And that's the first thing that we looked at today. Following Christ and salvation. Are you willing to do that today? Secondly, following Christ in separation. The first thing that you do when you get saved is you separate yourself from the world. This is like one of the most unpopular topics in Christianity today. And evangelical Christians don't want to talk about separation. They want to kind of blend in and mix in and just feel good and comfortable, have everybody come. You know who tried to do that was the Emperor Constantine back in the early days of the early church. He said, oh, we're all going to be Christians. So he declared in his empire, everybody's a Christian. Oh, we're all Christians. It doesn't work that way. You have to be born again. The message the Lord Jesus Christ said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. That's how you become a Christian. You don't just write your name in front of your name, Christian Ed Broom, Christian Brad Bourne, Christian Mike Hyde. No, he writes the name when you get saved and he writes it in a better place. He writes it in the book of life. And when he writes your name there, nothing can wipe it out. It's there for eternity. But like I said, the first thing that we do when we get saved is separate ourselves from the world. Oh, how many people have we known in the past that says, oh, it's so hard to give up my friends and my life in the world. You know that they're not saved. When they, when they do that and they profess faith and they go back and they live that way, you know they're not truly saved. A truly saved person can't live that way anymore, doesn't want to live that way anymore. And I always like the illustration of the sheep and the pig. The sheep is a clean animal. And if you take that sheep and put it in the mud, it's going to hate it because it's a clean animal and it's going to be, have to get out. But the pig, you put it in a clean place, it says, I don't like this house. You can put it in a mansion and say, Mr. Pig, here you live here. Remember Arnold the pig on the Green Acre? Can you imagine putting Arnold in a beautiful bed and giving him satin sheets and beautiful pajamas to wear or whatever? And then you say... Where did Arnold go? Where is he? He's back out in the mud in the backyard because that's his nature. His nature, the pig's nature, is to live in the mud. And you can genuinely see, the Lord Jesus said it so clear, by their fruits you shall know them. Is that person a sheep, one of my children? Or is that person a, one of the goats? That's the, that's the sheep and the goats, but also like the analogy of the pig, running back to the old life again. We can't do it. We have to separate ourselves from the world. The Lord said it clearly in 2 Corinthians 6.14. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness and what communion has light with darkness. Have you ever been at work and they start talking about things and you say, I wish I wasn't here. I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear their stories. I don't want to hear their jokes. I don't want to hear that. And you know, when somebody knows you're a Christian, pretty soon they won't start telling those stories around you. Or they'll apologize. Oh, sorry, Dean, I didn't, I didn't hear you. I didn't see you there. I didn't mean to say it. Because they know you're a Christian. That's the kind of stand the Lord wants us to have as followers of Christ. We don't have to rebuke them and say, you shouldn't use that language or you shouldn't talk that way. Our lives should rebuke them. Our righteous lives should be a rebuke to the unsaved that don't know the Lord in a loving way. And we shouldn't mix with the world. You can't love the world and love Christ at the same time. It doesn't doesn't work. It doesn't blend. 
Just like it says in 2 Corinthians 6, 17, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. The world today is an unclean place. It really is. We're not comfortable here. We're going to be comfortable when we get home to heaven. But the Lord has left us here and he says, be separated from this world so that people will see the difference in your life, that you are a true Christian and they won't want to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Because you know what it does? If you see somebody that professes to be saved and they're not separated from the world and they talk like other people and they do other things and everything, it's such a bad testimony, it sends mixed signals. They say, well, on one hand, this person's a Christian and he doesn't do this, that or the other. And then this person, well, he says he's a Christian also, but he does those things. So which is right? Which I kind of like this guy over here because I can do whatever I want. I can live the same way I'm living now and I can be a Christian like that gangster. He says, that's the kind of Christianity I want. I, I want to believe in Jesus, go to church on Sunday, and then I can do whatever I want during the week. But that's not true Christianity. That's not following Christ. Following Christ is accepting Him as your Lord and Savior, separating yourself from this world. It doesn't mean we leave this world. We are living in the world, but we're not of it. And our character and our conduct and our conversation should reflect that we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, that we're following Him. Our next scripture verse in the class, I put a plug in for it, it's a great class, is Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 where it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And then he adds in verse 2, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God wants us to be conformed to the image of Christ, not conformed to the image of this world. Years ago, I had an illustration that I thought was really good for uh, this subject of not being conformed to the world. It's a jello mold. Now, you ladies or others who make jello, you have a mold. You pour in the jello, put it in the mold, put it in the refrigerator, and then you come out and it's now it's taken on the shape of the mold. So that when you put it on the plate, it looks beautiful. It's taken on the shape of the mold. The key is what kind of mold are you using? If you're using the mold of this world, you're going to be conformed to it. You're going to be like the world and people are not going to see any different. And they're going to say, I don't want to, I don't want something like that. It's not real. It doesn't mean anything. We have to be transformed by the power of God. I thought about that man, Lot, who lived in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, the nephew of Abraham, one of the most godly men on the face of the earth. He decided to leave Abraham and go live in a place in the valley near Sodom and Gomorrah. Then he moved from so into, into the outskirts of the city. Then he moved into the city and he took up residence there. I can't believe. Living in Sodom and Gomorrah. And he became such a weak Christian. He was a believer, but he was carnal. He was, he was worldly. He had become so much like the people there. And then when the angels came, they had to forcibly take him by the hand and say, come on, get out of here. God's going to destroy this city. Well, we know something here. God is going to destroy this earth and we have to get saved and follow Christ and, and be the people he wants us to be because there's coming a time when true Christians are going to be taken up. Not those who profess, not those who Christians in name only, but true believers are going up and the rest would be left behind. I found a letter that was written in the second century. This is an old letter and we don't know who wrote it. But it was written and it was found and it really speaks to not only that era that they lived in, 
but our day and time today, too. And it's describing Christians. So listen to see if this describes you today. Christians are not differentiated from other people by country, language or customs. You see, they do not live in cities of their own or speak some strange dialect. They live in both Greek and foreign cities, wherever chance has placed them. They follow local customs, clothing, food and other aspects of life. But at the same time, they demonstrate to us the unusual form of their citizenship. They live in their native lands, but as aliens. Every foreign country is to them as their native country and every native land as a foreign country. They marry and have children like everyone else, but they do not kill unwanted babies. They have a shared table, but not a shared bed. They are passing their days on earth, but are citizens of heaven. They obey the appointed laws and go beyond the laws in their own lives. They are put to death and gain life. They are poor and yet make many rich. They are dishonored and yet they gain glory through dishonor. Their names are blackened and yet they are cleared. They are mocked and blessed in return. They are treated outrageously and behave respectfully to others. When they are good, they are punished as evildoers. When they are punished, they rejoice as if being given new life. They are attacked by Jews as aliens and persecuted by Greeks. Yet those who hate them cannot give any reason for their hostility. I thought, wow, that was the New Testament era. That is how they lived. That's exactly what a Christian was like. And the same thing holds true today. If you, if you decide to follow Jesus, you're not going to be popular. You're not going to be the in person and the in crowd. You're not going to be like we used to call it BMOC, big man on campus. You're not going to be the valedictorian, maybe. You're not going to be the homecoming queen or you're not going to be popular, but you're going to be popular with where it counts with the Lord. And that is what really counts. If we separate ourselves from this world, we will be happy and we will be able to follow Christ wherever he wants us to go. Following Christ in salvation, following Christ in separation. And then the third thing is following Christ in sanctification. What does it mean to be sanctified? It means to be set apart. It means to be holy. And that's the way the Lord wants us to live in this world, to be holy, to be conformed to the image of his son. And I thought of a good mission statement for us as Christians today. This is the mission statement to walk as he walked, to speak as he spoke and to love as he loved. Isn't that a good mission statement for us to have as we go out in the world and we want to be sanctified and set apart? We say, Lord, help me to walk like you walked. Help me to speak the way you spoke and help me to love people the way you love them. If we do that, that's our mission statement. We will be pleasing in the eyes of the Lord. If you turn over to first Peter chapter one, you'll see a couple of verses about the kind of lifestyle the Lord expects us to live. He doesn't just ask us to live this way. He expects us to live this way because it's the way every Christian should be living for him. First Peter chapter one will begin reading at verse 13. First Peter one and 13. Here, Peter writing to the believer says, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He says, as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. 
Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. You see the standard there? The Lord Jesus says to us this morning, be holy as I am holy. We say, well, Lord, how can I ever live like you live? How can I do it? Well, he says, I've given you the resources to do it. I've given you my Holy Spirit. We can be holy because the Holy Spirit comes to live within us and allows us to live a life of personal holiness. You know, the Lord isn't so concerned, like it said in that letter, about what we look like, what kind of suits we wear or dresses we wear as ladies or, or, or what we look like or what kind of attire. He's concerned about the heart on the inside. That's what counts. That's what differentiates a Christian from an, of an unsaved person is the inside, the heart. And the best litmus test that you can have is what I mentioned already where Jesus said, by their fruits, you will know them. You know, you can't go to a tree and take that fruit and not know what kind of tree it was. If you take a fruit and you take it off the tree and you eat it and you say, hmm, that's a peach. That's a peach tree. Okay, I know the fruit. Or you go to an apple tree and you pick the apple and you eat it so I can tell that's an apple tree. Wouldn't it be terrible if you went to a plum tree and you took it off and you said, hmm, that tastes like a cherry. Or that tastes like a tomato. Or an onion. That's not the same. But that's what happens when Christians don't live a holy life, don't live a separated life, don't don't live that way. The fruit doesn't taste the same. Oh, it may look like an apple, but it doesn't taste like one because that person's not not saved and not walking. And that's what we want to do. We want to be saved and walking and following Christ wherever he wants us to go. You know, I think some people that profess faith in Christ don't want to live that kind of sanctified life because it's really costly. Because as soon as they say that they're a Christian, everybody's going to be watching them. They're going to watch every move that they make. They're going to listen to every word that they say. And they're going to say, wow, that's pretty heavy. People are watching my life. But someone said this, I would rather be under the microscope with Christ than to be under the radar without him. I'll say that again. I'd rather be under the microscope with Christ. Let them shine the microscope on my life. I'd rather have that be with Christ than to be under the radar where nobody sees me, closet Christian, so nobody will judge my life. I don't want to be there. I want to be in the, where they see me because our lives are a gospel. We're the fifth gospel is what we are. Our lives are speaking forth the testimony of Christ every day of our lives. So following Christ in salvation, following Christ in separation, following Christ in sanctification. And that brings us to our last point this morning, which is following Christ in service. Is that your desire today as a Christian to serve the Lord Jesus Christ? Or are you letting things get in the way? There's a lot of things that can keep us from serving the Lord the way he wants us to do it. You know, some people have a goal of making money. And you say, by the time I'm 30, I want to make my first million. And I want to retire by the time I'm 45 with my second or third or whatever millions they have. That's the goal that they have in life is to make money. Give me a job that makes money. I think I mentioned my old former neighbor that used to be there and he'd always say, Dean, how are you, how's your work going? I say, it's going great. I'm happy. I'm thankful. And he says, but are you making money? Are you making money? I said, well, yeah, every two weeks I get paid. <laughs> you know, I get, I get a paycheck for work and I think this is great because I enjoy what I do. I get paid. But see, they don't, they're not thinking that way. They're thinking, how much money do you have? How much do you have in your 401k? How much retirement? How much? How much? How much? Jesus says, don't look at that. Those things are fine. You need money, 
but don't make that the priority to accumulate them. Other people try to get toys. And you know what I'm talking about, grown-up toys. Whether it be the sports car or the nice place, you know, whatever it is, there's nothing wrong with those things, but to have that goal of having that toy. You know, sometimes on the bumper sticker it says, whoever has the most toys wins. No, that isn't it at all. It's who has Christ that wins. Who is living for him and serving him. That's what counts. That's my goal is to serve the Lord. And I know it's the goal of so many here. But what has to happen is we have to deny ourselves, take up our cross daily and follow him. And it may mean taking less money. It may mean doing something different to follow Christ and to serve him and to have the time to serve him. I like what Joshua said to all the people of Israel. He says, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of the river or the gods that your fathers used to serve. But he says this, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Not only Joshua said, but all my household, he says, is going to follow the Lord and serve the Lord. And that's what we should do. It should be our goal and desire from the beginning of the day to the end of the day to serve the Lord and not allow distractions, hindrances, obstacles to get in the way of our serving the Lord Jesus daily. I love our memory verse that we just had this morning from John 12, 26. It says in the New International Version, it says, whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Serving and following go together. You can't serve the Lord unless you follow him. And you can't follow him without serving him. They go together. And that's the way it should be in our lives as Christians. We should follow the Lord. Well, let's look briefly over at um, Luke chapter 9, verse 57 to 62. It talks about three different people that expressed an interest in following the Lord Jesus. And we're going to see what the Lord had to say to them and how they reacted to it. Uh, Luke chapter 9 and verse 57. The title in my Bible is The Cost of Discipleship. The Cost of Discipleship. Luke chapter 9, verse 57. The Lord Jesus is here and speaking to these people. Now, it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. Oh, the Lord knows what's in the heart of the people. Notice what the Lord says. He didn't say, great, come on. No, he says this. Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Isn't that amazing? Then he said to another, follow me. And he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Again, the Lord knows the heart. He knows the motive. Notice what he says. Let the dead bury their own dead. But you come and follow me and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you. But, but let me first go and bid farewell to who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. I'll never forget one day Gene Gibson was teaching us this passage at the intern program. Bill might remember it. And he had a styrofoam cup. And when he got to the climax of this passage and he got to this 60 second verse, no one after having put his hand to the plow is fit for the kingdom of God. And he squashed that cup. And it was a great visual lesson because you cannot start serving the Lord and then not finish. 
You have to continue. You have to follow. The Lord is looking for consistency in our lives so that when we finish the race, we will finish not only strong, but stronger even than when we started. That's what the Lord is looking for. He doesn't want people that are going to take detours and exits and go their own way. Notice these people, what each one had to say. The first one says, I'll follow you wherever you go. But then the Lord knew what he was thinking. He said, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. What did Jesus mean? If you want to follow me, there's a cost. There's a price. What is it? Everything. You're going to go with me? Okay, you're not going to have the nicest. Now, you'll have a place, but you're not going to have the nicest place or you're not going to have a five-star hotel or whatever it is. The cost in following the Lord Jesus And the second one said, Lord, let me first, me first. I like how it says, let me first go and bury my father. It sounds so good. I got to take care of this. But the Lord knew what he was thinking. And he says, let the dead bury their own dead. You come and follow me now. And then the third one says, I'll follow you, Lord. But he says, but I first want to go say goodbye to those at home. You know what's going to happen when you go home and say goodbye to them? You're not going to leave. You're not going to come back to Jesus. No, Jesus is calling you right now. Don't leave the door. Don't leave out the door because he's calling you now. Don't say, I'll come to him later. I'll follow him later. I'll get saved later. I'll become a Christian later. I've got time. I'm young. How many people said that? And young people nowadays are dying. Everybody dies. No excuses. Come to Christ today. Serve him fully. Serve him faithfully and serve him fervently. And say, I have decided to follow Jesus and I want a life of serving him. So to conclude today, we've seen that God's requirements are these fourfold. He wants us to serve him and follow him in salvation. That's the place we have to start. And if you say, well, I'm not there yet. Well, you can't go to step two or step three or four till you get past stage one. Point number one, following Christ in salvation. Secondly, following him in separation. It may not be popular. Be separated. And what I what I see today is so many Christians are not separated. They're not separating their kids. I thank the Lord for our assembly. Adel and Sylvia have taught us over the years, separate yourself, separate your kids. So many say, well, I can let my kids play with the neighbor's kids. No. Is your kid going to influence that neighbor's kid? No, that kid's going to rub off on your kid. And pretty soon they're going to use bad words and pretty soon they're going to say bad things. And you're going to say, where did that come from? Didn't come from Sunday school. Didn't come from home. Came from the neighbors. If they're unsaved kids, you can't let them play with them because they're going to influence your kids. We have to be separated. Third, we have to be sanctified. We have to be holy and set apart and we have to follow Christ. Say, Lord, I want to be like you. I want to follow in your ways. And then finally, we have to follow you, Lord Jesus, in service. We have to be a follower of Christ. We can ask ourselves, how is my followership? Like we said earlier, are we following him completely? And when we do that, the Lord will help us to be the Christians he wants us to be. So let's bow our heads now and ask the Lord to bless us. Every eye uh, closed, every head bowed. I'm going to ask you today. If you have decided to follow Jesus in salvation today and you want to take him as your savior, I'm going to ask you to stand up. Stand up if you want to accept Christ and we'll pray for you right where you are. Stand up because you can decide right there in your seat. But by standing and there's nobody going to be looking, but stand up and say, I want to follow Jesus in salvation. I don't want to go out those doors without him as my savior. And today you can stand up. 
And you can also do it sitting, but when you stand up, you're serious about it before you and the Lord and say, I want to accept Jesus as my Savior and follow him. And then I'm going to ask everyone to stand who wants to follow the Lord in separation, in sanctification, and in service. If you want to follow the Lord today, stand up. Everybody who wants to stand, and then we'll close in prayer, stand up. If you've decided that you want to follow Jesus, no turning back. And shall we just close in prayer? Father, we thank you for the word, for the challenge of it. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for your words to your disciples, follow me. We thank you that they didn't hesitate. They followed you and followed you all the way. Lord, help us to follow you in salvation, in separation, in sanctification, in service. Lord, there's nothing more that I want to do and what we want to do is serve you, Lord. And we want to be followers. We want to let you follow us to follow you, Lord. We want to let you lead us all the days of our lives. And we thank you and praise you for this day. Pray you'll be with us all through this week. And may you be glorified in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.